0: Hey, it's Jim Eskimen, and it's the Jim Eskimen Podcast you're listening to, except no imitations. Except my imitations. Well, I've just been traveling a lot, and that's why you probably have not heard from me for a while. I've been um, in England, and then I was in Boston for a day, and I'm going to Brooklyn next week, and uh, i got a few more trips to make before the end of the year on my speaking tour trying to get people in IT and government, these very specified kind of audiences, to uh, embrace the idea of actually taking a look at the effect they have on other people with their communication. Because, uh, you know, a lot of jobs that used to be kind of private and uh, off the beaten path, off the grid, sort of back office, things like IT and, and other things, uh, they find that, uh, well, now they're sort of in the, uh, in the hot spotlight, in the glare and we all are kind of in a way because just the digital we all are because of the digital revolution we're all under the microscope which i don't know i don't know how well we're coping with it i find it very uh very interesting and perplexing and challenging always you know particularly as uh, i like to make use of social media and uh it can sometimes quite often sort of boomerang on one and turn around and have a bad effect but anyway i've been traveling uh and it's good to be back. It's really nice to be home. I really relish being home now and uh, away from an airport. But I wanted to tell you a couple of fun stories. First of all, my wife and I went to England. I went as a performer. I got to perform in a charity event that my church, Church of Scientology, was putting on in uh, sort of our one of our very important places in East Grinstead, England, in Sussex. Uh, it's the home of our founder, L. Ron Hubbard, and it's beautifully maintained and, and Every year they have a massive uh, kind of a gathering, um, festival or whatever. Not a festival. That's the wrong word entirely. Wouldn't it be nice, though? Good idea to have a festival. Uh, I'm sure they do other times, other warmer times of year. But uh, we had a big charity event raising money for the uh, the local city for the holidays. And uh, I went last year. And this year we tried something new. I had this idea. Well, I should do uh, – last year I did a number where I did Singing in the Rain – in celebrity voices, I don't know, like 15 voices or something and had the big band back me up, strings, horns, just fantastic musicians. And this year I thought, well, it's we got to do better, we got to do bigger, so we did uh, Bohemian Rhapsody, which I really wasn't sure we could pull off, but as it as it happened we could. And hopefully I'll get a nice video of that up. Anyway, that wound up being 20 celebrity voices. And the band was just sensational. As I said, we had I don't know, I said had half a dozen strings, and uh, some great a great horn section, and then the whole guitars and bass, and it was amazing. And uh, standing ovation, so that was nice, and uh, had a great time. Then Tamara and I took a couple of days, literally just a couple of days in England, in in London, off by ourselves. Well, ourselves. What a crowded city! We were never alone much, except in the room. That's a very crowded city. And uh it was beautiful weather. Maybe that's it. The that people were out and about, you know, the weather was just stunning. Cause, you know, it could go either way in the end of October in England. And I was we were ready for rain, but we really didn't encounter much. What we did encounter were the big crowds from the James Bond Spectre movie debut. The premiere was there and was just around the corner from our hotel. We were in Kensington near the Royal Albert Hall. And uh you know, that night they had this huge, everybody was in bib and Tucker, as they say. They were in their tuxedos and gowns and going to this premiere. And you could hear the announcements being made on the red carpet. And here's Daniel Craig. You know, I didn't actually hear that one, but obviously that would be one they would make. And, uh, and I was watching it streaming actually on Twitter for a little while. And it's just around the corner. You could hear the cheers. So that was pretty wild, a bit of random happening that was going on. And uh, it was a lovely, lovely time. I love London. I love going to London. I don't know it at all. I, I've been there a half a dozen times in my life and never for very long. And I'm always either trying to get out of the rain or trying to get out of the snow or uh, never really absorbing the place or getting a feel for it exactly. But I just like it and I always, I'm always, i always sad to leave. And uh, we had a good time. We were exhausted. We were knackered, as they say. We had a very nice time. And we'd go back in a second in an absolute heartbeat. But... Um, we had to come home, duty cold, so we came home. And Duty did call, and I had to turn around pretty much just a few days, probably about three days after I got back from London. I had to go to Boston for the day to deliver my keynote address. And uh, I was like, really not looking forward to the trip because Boston's a long flight. It's like four hours plus going and coming back at six hours. you know, As it happened, I had quite a bit of time after my talk to to loll around Boston. Also had great weather. Again, Boston could be quite cold. End of, uh, well, By that time, it was the beginning of November of this year, and uh, just a few days ago. And it could have been pretty cold, but it wasn't. It was gorgeous. So I took the opportunity to walk around. And I walked around for hours because my flight wasn't until 6. And in my travels, I saw and heard many things. I was talking to a friend of mine on the phone and walking around at the same time in this very tony area on uh, Newbury Street. And I see this monk i assume he was a monk, he was a Asian man, very short, shaved head uh, in yellow robes, crossing the street with a kind of a nice friendly aspect and so I smiled at him and he smiled at me, and then he proceeded to come over and start talking to me, even though I was talking on the phone. He started talking to me in broken English, and he was handing me a little thing, and it was a little golden like a golden card, but in the sort of die cut in the shape of something, uh, very decorative, very splashy with Chinese, I assume figures on it. And, uh, just, you know, a pleasant little thing. I was like, Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And then, then he handed me or actually worked over my left hand. He worked over a little bracelet that was, you know, and at this point I'm getting set up, right. But he gives me this little beaded bracelet with an elastic thing and And I'm still talking to, trying to talk to my friend David on the phone. I said finally, I said, "Hold on, David. Hold hold on a second. I got to talk to this guy." And I said, "Thank you. Thank you very much." And then he had the little man handed me this little book that was like a notepad in a wallet, and he said, "Sign your name, basically, and and I will pray for you." And then it had a little place for the donation. I went, "All right." So I didn't want to put down my name for whatever reason. I I wrote down Grover Cleveland, and then I I gave him ten bucks because you know he had a nice aspect, as I say. It was a nice space. And I had 10 bucks. And he, after all, he'd given me that wonderful bracelet and the little charming card. Anyway, and then, then I insisted on taking a selfie with him because I thought, well, this is I'm going to get something out of this. So I took a selfie with him and, and put that up on Instagram. And then I resumed my talk to my friend David. I didn't think another thing about it. But he just waved goodbye. And then I continued in my journeys. I went all over Boston. I went up and down Beacon Hill. Boy, what a beautiful place that is. And with all the leaves turning, the Boston ivy turning red and rusty colored and on the old brick walls. The brick in Boston is so old. Some of it's from, I don't know, the 1700s. And so it's all irregular, I mean, tremendously irregular. Each brick, even within the brick, it's irregular. Each brick next to each brick has been kind of worn down in a different way, and it catches the light in a slightly different way because it's a slightly different angle, and it looks like, you know, what skin must look like, uh, photographed, you know, at a very, very high magnification. And the light was hitting it sideways in the beautiful kind of autumn slant of the sun and the sky, and... uh, I see these old, old buildings, and they're just kind of, you know, they're, they've been relaxing, these buildings, for a long time. You can just feel them kind of easing down on their timbers. They're on their elbows, some of these buildings, and uh, covered with this beautiful uh, Boston ivy and, and other other plants and other trees. And so not Los Angeles, you know, in any way. Dark green doors in, in this beautiful faded brick wall. All kinds of things that you just don't see. And then I went to the site of the Boston Massacre and I actually stepped inside a museum just as a little tour was going on and a woman was giving a presentation about the Boston Massacre, you know, what that was all about. And I I did not know that story. Uh, but she was saying, you know, this is what happened, you know, and these British soldiers, they were sort of entrapped and then they fired to defend themselves against this angry mob. But history has treated it a completely different way. And in, in the in the revolutionary times, of course, the the New Englanders they they treated this as a, a great way to, you know, use a publicity stunt against the British and and protest the Stamp Act and the Tea Tax and all that sort of stuff. And that's very interesting. And and then she said uh, the the there was a lawyer who defended the British soldiers uh, in the trial, and uh, defended them in their murder trial. And do you know who that was? And I said, Yeah, I know who it was. I watched TV. That was Paul Giamatti. And she said, Well, it was John Adams. And I said, Well, that's what I meant. Anyway, very interesting to see that spot and to feel. I don't know. I'm not. I, I'm not a history buff so much, but when you enter a space that is a significant space, like a room where the founding fathers were, for example, and the floor looks just about the same, just like earlier this year when I was in uh, Montgomery, Alabama, and I went to the room where, in the uh, legislature, where uh, in their state capital, where the Confederacy was born. It's like you feel something. I don't know. It's very interesting. Even the room carries with it some old latent agreements or disagreements of some kind. Very interesting. Uh, Anyway, wandered around, then wandered down to the harbor. And by this time, I've gotten a text about my flight. And now, instead of leaving at 6 p.m. after waiting around all day or walking around all day, it's now going to leave at 8.20. I'm like, oh, my Lord, that's going to get me into L.A. really late. But it's like, well, at this point, what can I do? So I walked by the harbor and saw, I think it was the... um, Old Ironsides, or whatever the ship that they have on display there, and the sun's going down by that time, and I had me some dinner, I had me some fish and chips, which I love to have, and made my way to the airport finally and uh not really looking forward to the flight home because it's a long flight home, and we're already starting late, and you know air travel these days is is not very comfortable, but um for some reason. When I got there, I, I, you know, I've had a lot of Delta miles because of this year's travel. And so they put me on the, I'm always on the standby list for an upgrade, but it never means anything because I'm always like number 13 and the flights are always full. But this time they say, Mr. Beskimen, you, you, um, we're not, we're pretty light tonight and you can have a seat in a row all to yourself. I said, oh, that's great. Uh, yeah, that's nice. That's a nice perk. So I get on the plane. I spread out. I get my three seats and put my backpack, you know, my laden backpack full of the history book that I bought at the museum and stuff I'm going to read. And I stick that under the seat. And then another flight attendant comes down the aisle and says, Mr. Meskerman, would you like this? And she hands me a boarding pass for a first class seat. And I said, hell yeah. So I got to to go up, I got upgraded twice. I got to go up into first class, and first class in Delta is is okay. You know, it's a little more comfortable, and uh, they wait on you just a little bit more. And the screen on the seat to, to watch the movies is a little bigger. And I sat next to another young man who turned out to be a, f- a filmmaker. Uh, just came out of film school, and we chatted. His name is Rafael Cruz. And uh, and then I, you know, just rode along in comfort thinking, wow, how about that? How about that? Look at that. Lucky day. Lucky day. Buddhist monk handing me a charm, making me sign my name, said he'll pray for me to Buddha. Hmm. How about that? So there you go. I thought that was kind of fortuitous. a so Nice thing. You know, someone says they're going to bring you some luck and you give them 10 bucks. Sometimes it happens. <laughs> Actually, I'm a firm believer that you create your own luck, but hey, maybe that's how I had to create my own luck. I had to find me, a, find myself a, a guy in a yellow robe that looked like he had the goods and uh, convince myself that uh, he's going he's gonna to bring me the luck. Anyway, might as well have been Delta.com that brought me the luck. But that was fun. Anyway, nice little thing. Another lucky thing was my friend Tate Rupert happened to be in the neighborhood.
1: and hello again everyone welcome to ion technology My name is Martin Batchelder, and with us in the studio to talk about new things in technology is Professor Wallace Strumley. Uh, Professor Wallace Strumley uh, is formerly of the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, uh, but he's recently written a book called Shredding, and he has delved into the history of shredding documents. And it's fascinating because it goes back a lot further than a lot of of people probably think. Uh, Professor, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Uh, now, in your book, which was fascinating, and I won't tread it, by the way.
0: <laughs> you might have noticed it has perforated pages, so it's, it is actually easy to pull apart if, if you wish to. These days, uh, with paper clogging up so many of our landfills, it
1: might be a good idea, once you've digested the book, to, to tear out all the pages. Well, that's very green of you, uh, very environmentally friendly, uh, Professor. But let's delve into it, because I know people are going to be fascinated to learn that uh, we thought that paper shredders were the turn of the 20th century, but but you have documented proof. This goes back to the ancient Egyptians. The
0: Egyptians, yeah. The uh, papyrus uh, papers that they created. And, uh, of course, these are how they did business. And, uh, well, I was fascinated because I've always been absolutely enchanted by the shredding process. Uh, my father worked in a hardware store. And uh, so we had all the latest gadgets. And, uh, you know, around about the 70s, there were shredders that really started to appear in offices. I just uh-huh. was tickled by the idea that you could take a document. And you could separate it into you know 50 or 60 vertical strips uh, in, in in you know the, basically the blink of an eye, which back then was it took about 15 seconds. Yeah.
1: I you know I know that the, you know in the uh, World War II, uh, many of the documents that were shredded were you know classified uh, things for you know spy papers and things like that. And you know, back
0: then they were just
1: hiring ladies, uh, ladies in the
0: stenography pool to take uh, their manicure scissors and do it by hand. It's a very arduous thing. This is what they did, you know, because it was that important to keep those documents secure. I went back, even in my researches in the 1700s, there were there was a count that uh, did a lot of... Uh, well, he would write these long manifestos and the, uh, he would do business and he would have a lot of documentation that was on a kind of a, you know, Chinese paper scrolls. And uh, he didn't have a shredder, of course, but in order to destroy those documents, rather than just uh, put them in the fire, which you seem would be easy enough. Instead, he had a small ferret that he had trained that would chew... The these papers and uh, into, into little little bites, and it would this ferret, uh, just a well, single ferret? You could only train one ferret to do it. Would uh,
1: reduce this document into just a, a pile of small chewed bits. That is fascinating. And that whole chapter that you have is great, that the that the royalty and the the people that maybe ran financial institutions mm-hmm. back then, they'd carry their own ferret around That's to right. shred when they weren't in their castle. Yeah, whatever.
0: there was, in fact, there was an expression back then. It said, hold on, let me make sure I brought my ferret with me. And uh, in French, of course, and, and that would mean, oh, hold on, let me make sure there's some way for me to take care that this documentation doesn't get in the wrong hands.
1: Now, uh, you talked about the Inca mm-hmm. uh, civilization. They would uh, have to Cut up leather and clay—that uh, was must have been very arduous.
0: Yeah, it was. Uh, we, you know, we don't know exactly what they did, but we have some uh, freezes and paintings and bas reliefs that seem to indicate that they, as well, were very concerned about the security of the documents. And so in their documents were, as you say, they were printed, some of them uh, stamped, uh, embossed into leather. Others were cuneiform pressed into clay. And you know, they would have to, sometimes it would take a slave and they would say, here, you take all these piles of, of documents, which would be basically, uh, you know, what we would look at as being a stack of adobe bricks. And say, here, now shuffle that. And uh, and break that into small bits, and you know, you know these were people that were not known for their human rights. To erase something, uh, sometimes it takes a little extra effort. And back then, in the Incan times. Uh, that's, that's what it took.
1: Well, that is fabulous. Now, as we are talking about ion technology, uh, what is future of shredding? Mm-hmm. Shredding might be on the way out. Uh, tell us about that.
0: Uh, well, of course, it, so much is done digitally now. I mean, you know, the delete button is really the, the shredder uh-huh, of today uh-huh. in, in a lot of ways. But still, there's a lot of documentation that has to physically exist, and they're looking for quicker. You know, you have two, always have two factors. Can you make the particles smaller? Can you reduce it to those particles quicker? So uh, there's a there's a ratio that, you know, they are always pressing I think total vaporization is just a few steps away as far as the shredding revolution is concerned where you know uh, literally a sheaf of documents like such as you would fill out for a mortgage maybe 150 120 pages uh, can be completely puffed away like a, something out of a scene from Harry Potter you know and uh-huh. of course that, that that is pretty secure if you can vaporize a document uh, there's no way that a person can you know take all those particles out of the air and reassemble that vapor right. to you know to make a revealing or a compromising document well,
1: let's hope that they can't, because, you know, with every technological advance, no, there's going to true. be someone that wants to say, hey, let's rein this in. That's now, true. I know you were experimenting with uh, this vaporization, uh, your atom collider that yeah. you have mm-hmm, uh, yeah. there in uh, Wichita. It's
0: a small atom collider, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, we, yeah, we, we created quite a bit of damage I heard uh, about the accident. Part of the freeway fell in. Uh, we lost an exit and an overpass and yeah, some malfeasance there, I think, by the construction company because it should not have come apart so quickly.
1: Well, thank you so much, Professor, for coming in. You know, it's an aspect of this world that we live in. We tend to forget shredding and the importance of documents being sent into the atmosphere. Professor, thank you so much. Yeah, my pleasure. Let me give you this card of mine. Oh, Would you keep right. that? Okay. And you, as you can see, it's perforated in several places. Uh, you know what? I'm going to memorize this and, and enter it. That's what it's for.
0: I was visiting uh, a friend of mine, good friend of mine, Ken Hertz, who's uh, an attorney, and has a he's a very well placed guy, and he has a building that he uh, his offices are in on uh, Century Park East, I think. in Century City. Century City, which to me growing up Century City was like Oz. (laughs) It just looks like any corner of 6th Avenue in New York now. But but growing up, I mean, it's like nothing else in probably in Southern California. It's like no other area and certainly not in uh, near my house (laughs) in the valley. So uh, anyway, went to visit him and it was a kind of a rainy day, a lot of clouds and, and gusty and and kind of nice, not, not horrible, but just uh, not, not wet or gloomy. Anyway, uh, so I'm outside his building, and the building next door is being built, a massive skyscraper, uh, got to be at least 30 stories. And I'm looking up because they're working on it. There's a huge crane, and there are men up there, and they're very tiny, and they're working at the top of this building, and it's gusty, you know. I'm thinking, what's that like? And the, the crane is bringing over some possibly big load of flat, I don't know, metal or who who knows what it was, but just, uh, I couldn't identify what it was, but it's like kind of slowly moving it up and it's moving around in the wind. And I'm like, wow, look at this. I'm just staring up, just wrapped. I'm a little early for my appointment, so I got time to just sit out in front and watch a skyscraper being built bit by bit. And as I'm doing it, uh, a man walks around the corner on that side of the street and uh, it's a construction worker, stocky little guy. You know and he's got a flannel shirt on, and he's got a hard hat and he's got all kinds of stuff around his belt, and he's carrying something and and he yells across at me because he sees me he sees me looking up and admiringly i guess and or interested you know, and he yells something like ah, long way "Out long wow and and I went what what?" and I got a little closer to him as he was walking by, and he said it's uh there's a beautiful view from up there or something. I don't remember exactly what he said, and I look at him and I, and he's pretty short guy, Hispanic guy, kind of a rough beard and got this hat on, nice smile. And then I noticed he's got on his cheek, I could see this bright red, it's it's like a a lipstick mark, a kiss, full, you know, both lips, not a little smudge, but somebody really laid one on him. And I said to him, uh, hey, you, you got a kiss there. Somebody kissed you. And he said, yeah, every morning. And then he walked off. It was 4 o'clock in the afternoon. So that's when my appointment was. So this guy, this cute construction worker, had been wearing this bright red lipstick kiss on his cheek all day long. My wife, I told my wife this story. She said, yeah, the wife marked him. She marked him to <laughs> keep, keep all the other girls away from him. But I thought that was so sweet. And he said, every day, every morning, every morning he gets marked. His wife gives him a big kiss, tags him just like like some scientist at the Smithsonian tags some egret. And I thought it was really sweet. And he wears it all day long. I don't know. I just thought it was so beautiful. I was so glad to talk to the guy and hear that. Anyway, so Impress Me, our uh, TV series is going to come back. It's going to air apparently in March again on Pop TV. It's going to be part of their rerun of Season 2 of Schitt's Creek, S-C-H-I-T-T-S, Creek. And so you'll be able to see season one of Impress Me Again. And we're still waiting to hear about a season two. Right now, though, both of our other leads are on famous zombie shows. Dana DeLorenzo is now on Ash, uh, The Evil Dead. And uh, Ross Marquand, of course, is still, still alive on The Walking Dead. Still walking, still strong. But doesn't mean we can't do something later on. We're taking our time. We're taking it easy. Hey, hope you have a great week and I will connect with you soon. Thanks a lot for listening. Thanks to Jeff Levin for the music. Thanks to Tate Rupert for whatever the hell you call that, whatever it is you do, that improv thing. And uh, I'll talk to you all real soon. Bye-bye.